My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. There's a place I know Where the trees are overgrown The air is wild The river rolls And when you get there Your mind goes Go jumping Hey, welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmission. So glad to have you here with us once again. My guest today on the show is Scott Hirsch. You might know his name from the credits of albums by people like William Tyler or uh, H.C. McIntyre or uh, His Golden Messenger. He has long been one of the main contributors to the His Golden Messenger project. Uh, But he's also got his own great solo albums. He just put one out called Windless Day. Uh, My favorite thing about Scott's albums is... um, is really the sense of groove that he establishes. He's a great lyricist, and he's great at melodies and, and, and song craft. But man, the grooves, that's where things really settle in. I, I, I really, really love what Scott does. You hear it on his His Golden Messenger stuff, and it stretches all the way back. Our conversation focused a lot on his his current home of Ojai, uh, but we we went back to uh, his his Southern California days in the 90s when he played with uh, MC Taylor of his Golden Messenger in Ex Ignota, their hardcore band. You'll hear me mispronounce the name, and he uh, politely corrects me, which I appreciate. Uh, but we talk about that. We talk about their weird uh, associations with Jack Johnson. Um, you'll you'll hear you'll hear it all. But yeah, it was really great to dig in with him to talk about record making and to talk about running his studio, Echo Magic, there in Ojai, and talk about the sort of lure of the West Coast and the lore of the, the West Coast. So I hope you enjoy this one. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, before we head into the talk, I will remind you we're about to wrap our season up. We've got just a few more episodes for you this season before we go into winter hibernation. Um, doing transmissions has been really so much fun this year we've had an incredible run of guests you can check out the archives uh to to verify that i'm not making that up uh we have had some great guests and some great talks and uh i really appreciate you tuning in and listening there's no shortage of things you could pay attention to on the internet uh no shortage of great podcasts and uh and music talk out there so i appreciate that you carve out the time to spend with us here on transmissions and uh, i'm looking forward to the break but i'm also looking forward to what we've got in store in 2022 the guest list is uh, looking pretty incredible for that as well so before we close the season we'll have a little check-in with uh with justin gage and i we'll do a little old school podcast style ramble before we head into our final interview but uh we've got a few more episodes before then so without further ado let's get into it here's me with scott hirsch from echo magic in ojai you're tuned into aquarium drunkard transmissions thanks so much for uh for hanging out with us this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy check them out at betterhelp.com slash aquarium drunkard 
the best way to think about therapy is through uh, the idea of thinking about maintenance. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups at the doctor and go to the gym to maintain our physical wellness. We do chores regularly to avoid a giant mess of a house and gross bugs. Going to therapy is, is like this. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness, and it helps prevent bigger issues down the line. Going to therapy does not mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing uh, in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Aquarium Drunkard listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash aquarium drunkard. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash aquarium drunkard. We thank BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. What is uh, what's what's new on your end? Um. I've been pretty busy. Uh, you can see I'm in my studio, but I, I, it's all messy because I've been rehearsing for some shows, which I'm very excited about. So um, I got that going on. I'm, I'm leaving town tomorrow morning very early to go up north uh, to, to produce a record for a friend. I'm very excited about it. So um, things are moving. That's things awesome. are happening. And it's... Uh, it feels strange, but it the feels studio good. looks extremely comfortable. Um, it's very comfortable. Yeah, I'm, thank I'm, you. I'm interested in. I see. I see some guitars. I see a <clears throat> drum set. I think I see some <laughs> drum machines. Which I think this is all. F- <laughs> I I did not play. I swear I did not place this. This is just like it's just. It's not even usually like this. We were just in here yesterday working on some things. So this is the last stays stays. And I was like, oh, that looks cool behind me. So yeah. I left it. But I didn't I, stay. I, I, I believe promise. you. I, I, tr- um, I trust you. Um, you seem like a trustworthy guy when I listen to your records. Um, <laughs> I am curious. Though you, so you mentioned you're going someplace else to produce a record. Uh, I would imagine you yeah. do most of your producing in your space, right? Is, is it? I do... Yeah, I I like to move around. I I love like I love all kinds of studios, and anytime I get an opportunity to work in a new one, I jump at it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I I can do a lot in here, but it's a, as you can see, it's a pretty small space. Um, uh, the place we're going, I don't know how much I can tell you about it, but I, I will say this: it's like the old studio of a of a new age guy uh kitaro you never you know that guy <laughs> so he it's it's his old studio that's all i know and and this is the the maiden voyage some other people moved in and took over and uh, i'm very excited about it so it's in um o- occidental california and um yeah that's that's all i know but i mean you know anytime i can get a chance to go somewhere like that to record i'm super pumped so i'm i'm looking forward to it 
it's such a weird but like coincidental thing that th- this week I was I having an Instagram DM conversation with Dave Schools and he told oh. me, "Hey, okay. well, then you must know. Then you know all about it." He okay. Told, yeah. So he, he, he's playing bass on the session. So that's that's amazing. It was such a trip because we were talking and and he was like, "Yeah, check this out. I'm in the studio and it's like." Kataro studio and one <laughs> i have absolutely listened to Kataro records like not so much yeah now but i yeah I, I had a band teacher in high school who was really into Kataro, and he arranged wow. a Kataro song for the marching band that i played and so one that's oh, my wow. that's my Kataro reference but two dave schools was like yeah and scott hirsch is coming up uh and i <laughs> okay. was like we're talking like, we're talking for transmissions and he was like small world <laughs> and i was like smaller than i even yeah. had any idea you know yeah well that's i'm 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 excited yeah that's that's amazing um i'm excited to work with him cuz we've we've crossed paths a lot of times but we've never like fully worked together so he, uh, it's going to be cool he's one of those guys he's like has such an omnivorous taste in music and he's so interested in so many different things um like that that yeah that's that's fantastic and then it's it's he, you know he's part of this like legendary jam you know thing and and so yeah he's all over the map but that's that's rad we love he's done a few things for Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard and we always are like yeah. so appreciative but that's awesome yeah so was Windless Day mostly done uh, or all done at home at Echo Magic um yeah well I won't say all because um, there's another. I have a, a friend Jesse who was sitting at this drum kit yesterday, uh, Jesse Siebenberg, and he has a, a similar space. Um, it, it, there's all these little tiny rooms in town, and so he's like a couple blocks away, and uh, we did some work in his spot too. So he had a broken eight track or a set. I call it the seven track machine. Um, so we recorded a lot of basics there and then I took them back here and, and fooled around with them for uh, too long. And, uh, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So I'd say about 80% of the, of the record was probably made in this room besides that. The record sounds great. Um, and, and it's got such a good, it's got such a good vibe. I was thinking, um, it's got that feel to me of like, a good morning record, you know, sort of like, um, sort of almost like a weekend morning, but I guess it could work on a week, a weekday morning. When do you tend to get into the studio or do you, is there a time of day where it happens more often than not? Are you a night owl or are you more of a morning guy? How does it work? It's funny. I mean, to answer that question, um, I made a lot of this record at night. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just sort of, uh, I mean, I hesitate to say this was a pandemic record because a lot of it was written before the pandemic, but a lot of the work on the record was done during the pandemic. And, you know, there's a lot of horrible things, obviously, that come of of this time. But yeah, the one thing that I I, I have to say I really um, was inspired by was just more time, <laughs> like like this sort of open endedness um, was helpful um and i have a eight-year-old daughter and um, my routine schedule would be to put her to sleep and then come to the studio and work not not super late but pretty late and then creep in and try not to wake everybody up when i got home um but 
to answer the first part of the question, kind of have a mantra about making records and it's this doesn't work for every record by any means, but like I definitely try to imagine if anything I'm working on, if it can work, if you can put it on on a Saturday or Sunday morning, then it's a good thing. Yeah. And I really think about that a lot. I mean, again, not always appropriate, but most of the stuff I like to work on, I, I kind of hold it up to that and see if that, that, that works. So I'm glad you think that. What, well, I'm torn and going so many directions, but I guess we'll go with the most obvious one. What are what are a few key records you find yourself reaching for on weekends? Do you have like, do you have standbys? Wow, I mean, you know, I mean, I see, you, I, I know, you know, that's that's a that's a big question. I mean, it's the it's a it's a um, huge question, and every time I ask somebody <laughs> that, I feel guilty because anytime anybody asks me a question like that. <laughs> My mind goes completely blank, and I don't remember anything I, I listened to. Yeah, I, that's exactly what just happened. I mean, <laughs> this hasn't been on my record player for a long time, but like one of the one of the ones that just come to mind immediately is always Ram. Yeah, the, the Paul McCartney record. It just always feels like a really morningy, weekendy record. Um, yeah, I tend to put on a lot of sort of like slower soul music. Um, just real feel good it doesn't have to invoke a, a church per se but sometimes gospely churchy solely music feels right yeah yeah during those times um i was just i just saw something about that karen dalton documentary but uh that record uh the the, the brown one i'm spacing on the name um some uh something is on your mind no something's on your mind in my in my time in, in my, my time, time is the name of the record something is on my yeah. is on your in mind. my yeah. time is is one i like to put on i don't know these are just ones that are coming into my brain right now it's it's a it's a tough question like, you know like I, I was i was playing a lot of reggae because summertime you yeah. know that's that's yeah. also good um yeah well it's so interesting that you mentioned the way sort of <clears throat> your concept of time sort of <clears throat> I found that over the 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 weirdness of the last whatever 19 months or whatever it's been, you know. I keep like for most of this year I've said like for the last year it's been weird and now I'm realizing how close it is to it being weird for like 2 years, you know. Uh, <laughs> um but but I, I I have been thinking lately about how that sense of time, you know, I'm back at, at work a lot, you know, like I'm in the office um and stuff like that, and it's de it's definitely is a big difference, you know. But I have been thinking to myself about how that sense of time being an elastic concept. Uh, I find myself really thinking about that a lot too, and going like, why why does your understanding of that have to go back to something now? You know what I mean? Yeah, we we blew the door open in a weird way. I think in the last. Yeah, like it was one year now and now two years, right? But yeah, I think and it's funny because I was writing just in my music a lot about time. My last record is called Lost Time Behind the Moon. And um, yeah, this just like took it to a whole nother level. But I, I, I do think we blew the door off of it. You know, I think people are thinking about their lives differently now. And it's it's cool. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, you said a lot of this record was written sort of before the actual like events of the pandemic, but 
but the fact that you were working on it in that time, how did that sense of 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 being a little bit freer in your own time? How do you think that influenced the the record, or how did it get into it? How did it manifest when you were actually working <clears throat> on the thing? You know? Yeah. Um, I I think it's a dark. I mean, it's funny because like it sits in the. We talked about how it sits in the morning feel and all that stuff, but. For me, I, I see it as a bit of a dark record. I think the artwork mm. reflects it a little bit. Um, yeah. And I think I kind of like there there was there is just there is so much darkness. It feels like right now in, in the world. And I, I think it I think I kind of leaned into that a, a little bit. Um, and then also just on a technical level, I I had no deadline. You know, it was it was just like, OK, well, do this until I'm done, which is, is sort of what I do anyway, honestly. Like, yeah, I've never not done that. And that's, that's part of why I make my own records in addition to making other people's records, because this is my time to do the things that I can't get on other people's <laughs> records. <laughs> um, so yeah, again, it was just kind of free. It was freeing in that way. And, and I leaned into it and just let, let, let me let myself paint over things. And then, paint over those again it's like i think of like those oil oil paintings where there's like some other iteration of the painting underneath like 10 layers like there's definitely that yeah yeah on my records and it's funny because i don't recommend to anybody else to make records like that but <laughs> for me that's just i can i i can do it and i have the capacity and i don't have to answer to anybody else so it's fun yeah you know yeah you've mentioned a couple times uh like that there are rooms like yours around town um you're in ojai right yeah when did when did you and your family move out there we moved here uh let's see it was about six years ago mm. um straight from brooklyn new york <laughs> uh it was just time to leave uh my daughter was a, a year and a half old and um I was on the road a lot playing with his golden messenger and we kind of needed a better home base because all our friends had left New York and my daughter was just like in McGulrick park, like digging in the dirt. And we're like, she just needs to be outside. Like this is not working. It's just some kids, you know, you just kind of know. And, um, my mother-in-law, this is my studio is it's a back house. There's a lot of these are called granny flats here basically just a standalone cottage and then her house is directly about you know 50 100 feet in front of this and we actually moved into this room the three of us it was it was small like there's there's a small kitchen and a tiny bathroom and we we all moved in here but we were like this is fine this is like no different than a new york apartment and uh we moved here and then i left for another basically two years on the road um but i knew one person um i knew michael jorgensen and he lives in Ohio, and he was the only person I knew. I was pretty sketched out. I had never not lived in a city for 20 years or all my adult life. Yeah. And uh, it was um, it was a little harrowing, but it turned out to be the best the best move because the creative community here is amazing and we're really happy. So I know Michael plays on uh, some, there's some like live versions that I've seen him yeah. him on. Is he on the record, too? Uh, he's not on the record. Um, I don't know why. For he's he played on some other er, other records of mine, but uh, I just 
never got him in but uh we did a fun version of the song dreamer in here recently and he played and it was it was great yeah I, i've got his i've got his amazing i don't know if i whirlits are sitting right there oh wow that <laughs> <It's> is red <laughs> that's really that's pretty yeah <laughs> that's awesome well but that's that's cool so but but uh you did were, i know that like uh mc taylor i know like that like the He's got roots in California. Did you, did you grow up in California as well? I did. We grew up, Mike and I grew up about uh, 10 minutes away from each other. Hmm. And we we didn't know each other until we went to college together and we met the first year in college. But we realized, we put the pieces together and we realized that we had been to some d- similar shows and whatnot so that was kind of funny what are the uh, uh what are the odds what 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 kind of sh- what kind of shows might you had been at together before knowing each uh, other one of them that sticks out in my mind there was there was this place called the uh there's this place called the i think it's called the alternative mall or the anti-mall this is like orange county this is like yeah the worst yeah. the worst place um <laughs> but uh i remember i particularly remember this show by this band it was like an in-store kind of event that was like it just was super cool for us in high school to go to and it was it was uh the band luscious jackson oh yeah and they were on yeah they were on uh grand royale the boys the beastie boys label and i went to that and then we were like oh you were at that yeah i was at that that was cool you know it's probably like 20 people there and me and him were there but we didn't know each other <laughs> wow um trying to think of some other ones there was a lot of I mean, we were we were definitely into like some some punk rock stuff, some Jawbreaker shows. I think we both attended um, in and around Orange County. Firehose, a couple Firehose shows, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, was that sort of was that your was that your gateway more or less into to like playing music yourself or your interest <clears throat> in music, kind of punkier um, stuff like that? I think it came later. I think my gateway, like a lot of kids, came from like classic led zeppelin you know mm-hmm. um but as time went on and you know i just gravitated towards the edgier edgier things and at that time hardcore bands and bands like jawbreaker and that kind of thing were, were really the easiest accessible place for us kids in in orange county to tap into because there was actually a lot of cool stuff happening but that that was like just accessible enough it wasn't too fringy but it was like it it was a gateway into more and when we got to college um we found it way more and we didn't even really know what we were getting into but what but we went to santa barbara uc santa barbara both of us and little did we know that golita uh is a you know it's kind of like the town where where the college is, is it was a very happening hardcore scene with a couple big labels right then so yeah uh, we were we were tapped into something that was very exciting through that so is that when the two of you formed ex ignolta yeah ex ignolta ex ignolta yeah. sorry yeah 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 it's okay uh not the easy it doesn't roll off the tongue um yeah <laughs> we formed we we formed that we, like mike didn't even really we we barely played I, I played guitar. Mike kind of did, and we were just like it was the time where you formed bands before you could play the instruments, you know. So, yeah. Uh, we were just like, "You're cool. Like you're into the same stuff. Let's make a band." And so we did. That's awesome. But the thing that's there's something so casual about the way you just described it. But I was like <laughs> going back and looking through stuff, and like 
you guys were an active band. You were like you were playing we did a, lot. a lot of shows yeah. and there were and there were singles <clears throat> and there's a little little mini documentary by Jack Johnson. Like <laughs> That's right. It's such a That's right. It's it seems like the two of you <laughs> dove in pretty like We did. We got we got hooked pretty good. I mean um you know, I mean, we were in college and we were just that, that's what we were just, you know, you, you just have nothing but time, you know, speaking of time, so besides the common the, the theme, few classes, yeah. the few classes you got to go to and um, what, you know, this is all pre-internet, right? So there was a magazine that, you know, like a, like a newspaper magazine and we put an ad in and we said, hey, we want to, we want to play, this band wants to play. And then in the next three weeks, our mailbox was full of letters from all over the country. Wow. And kids were like, come play in our, come play in our living room. And, and we were like, this is amazing. This is the coolest thing. So we bought a shitty van and we hit the road and we didn't know what, what the hell we were doing. But I will say that like that sense of community and experience, like it put the hook right in us. Like, I, I don't think there like for us right then and now 25 30 however long it's been years later like like you can't take that away like it's just that it just got us you know yeah and like we can't not play music yeah <laughs> and, and i know this story isn't um unique like i think there's so many i just constantly meet people from the same time and they're like oh i was in the house in ohio that you played and I mean, it's just a common story because it was just a really like tight knit community and it was very exciting. Um, and a lot of those people are have gone on to make really great music outside of that style. Yeah. So. What were the sh- what were the shows like? I mean, w- <laughs> how how rowdy on like, uh, you know, kind of rowdy? Um, I mean, we were a really loud band, you know, a crazy band and jumping around and um I used to play like my guitar with a screwdriver and just weird, fun stuff like that. Um, yeah, that big rules. Marshall cabinets and, um, but you know, a lot of times, I mean, there's a couple of shows like that I remember that, um, <laughs> like, one town in in Texas, I think it was near near Houston. It, it we roll it, like you never know what you're gonna get. We rolled into town. It was just this cool family and like their extended family Hmm. and we were like okay and we just played for them and it was amazing and we they passed around a little coffee can and we made a couple dollars and then we were like this is so cool and we moved on to the it's like you know it was just it was like some kid's birthday party and like all the like abuelas and like aunts and uncles and (laughs) it was just amazing that's you know yeah that's amazing (laughs) that's that's so i think i think about how obviously that band kind of evolved into another group you guys were in court and spark and then of course his golden messenger i think about how the folk music thing kind of is like um obviously a huge part of of the his sound of of your sound you know but on a real like concrete grassroots sort of level i mean what you're describing in those punk days i mean that's also a kind of folk music right like a kind of a common oh totally yeah. Yeah, I think that maybe that connection yeah. is a little bit under-examined because uh, I don't know. When you think about it, it yeah, why yeah. isn't why isn't Jawbreaker considered classic rock? And then I thought about it, and it's like, 
Well, because all the classic rock is still considered classic rock somehow. You know what I mean? Like, 15-year-old kids are still being told they have to listen to Led Zeppelin, which I don't mind. I like Led Zeppelin, right. and I especially like right. Led Zeppelin when I'm 15 years old. But you know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I, there's so many parallels in, in not just punk and hardcore, like any, any music scene, um, any style. Uh, I mean... But yeah, I'm just thinking about all the artwork and how like there was a common language yeah. that you had to kind of like use and abide by if you wanted to like be part of it. And, um, you know, just like any scene, but definitely it, it, it feels particularly folksy in the hardcore scene because um, because there's such a sense of community around it, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and people just kind of helping each other and typically out for good causes like so many food food nut bombs benefits and yeah you know, oh yeah community centers never never it, were, it wasn't like a straight edge thing but there just wasn't usually drinking and drugs like allowed even though people did them and stuff but it was just more about like the not even the music because the music was terrible i mean a lot of the music was terrible <laughs> but it didn't matter it was more just about like being having a thing that kids could go do together yeah. And I remember parents dropping their kids off. I mean, I was in college by the time I got into this, but like younger kids in the community, like their parents would drop them off and their parents were cool because they re they understood that like this was a, a way for their kids to express themselves safely. Um, and, you know, even though like there was a bunch of kids with like mohawks and sketchy clothing, they the parents knew that it was like cool and safe, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Oh. So, what did the look? What did it look like as as the two of you sort of started to found yourself drifting away from that sound, at least towards towards different? I mean, how how did that how did that sort of start to occur? I think we. I mean, I think over time we we just got more interested in getting better at our at our instruments um, in general. Um, there was a particular. We were really started to fall in love with the the kind of Midwest uh, Chicago movement of music at the time, like Slint and and then later Tortoise mm -hmm. and those bands. And there was, I, I, I can pinpoint it to like a very particular show where we, we took our gold van and we drove down to LA to, I think the Troubadour, if I'm not mistaken, to see um, Tortoise, Sea and Cake and Five Style was the bill. Mm. And it was we left that show just like like okay yeah it's time to learn how to play our instruments now yeah yeah <laughs> that was the takeaway we're like this is like jazz like we were just like okay like this is what we gotta we gotta learn now like this is it was a big moment um and i don't know somehow that just got us away from not the ethos of the the punk rock thing but more just the sound of of trying to like hone our craft more yeah yeah were you were the two of you already pretty uh wide-ranging in your tastes at that point i imagine that yeah that like you know especially if you're in a hardcore band and you're driving however long to play a bill with all other hardcore <laughs> bands like the van ride you need to throw some willie nelson in or whatever like exactly what kind of stuff you know were, were you guys you know tuned into uh yeah. on that level yeah i I don't know why it was, but we were we were even criticized in our own band at the time for being too artsy mm -hmm. in, in, in the music we played. So we we were bringing in other kinds of influences. And I don't know, we just were really we were always really into record buying. Um, and there were some pretty good stores around. There still is a couple like in the, in the local area, but we would 
there were so many good ones in LA too. Aaron's records and in, in pre, you know, pre Amoeba, there was just a lot of good places where we would haunt and always just looking for, it was, it was like, it was like a really fun pastime that Mike and a lot of my roommates and friends all did together as, as, as just like what we did on the weekend. We just go find weird records and, yeah. have these games like guest dj like someone everybody you know bring a record in and put it on everybody has to guess what it is and we just loved music and so the tastes were wide ranging because we were just digging in the, the bins yeah honestly um and finding things that we we really liked and yeah i mean again i don't i'm not I, i'm not trying to say i don't think this was unique to anybody sure but, sure you know we were just like we just love music so um How- we had fun how quickly did did you take to being the guy who was doing sort of the the bulk of the recording or things like that? Was that something that happened yeah. in that time, or was that something that developed more as the years went on? It's something I I was always interested in, um, even prior to being in bands. I remember trying to figure out. Um, well, I had a you know I had a four track even in high school and playing playing around with that a little tape cassette four track and. Um, I would record my friends and then I, I remember trying to figure out how to get my old uh windows pc to record audio which is like before there was that i knew of any software to do it and yeah um so i was always kind of the tech technical guy like in our band practices i would be like hooking, i would be the one hooking up the pa or something and always trying to get a weird guitar sound um yeah. so it was a pretty natural thing that i got i mean it, it it doesn't surprise me at all that i got more into recording and um you know i never had any super formal training other than making records of our own with with other producers and people that i learned from um in college i studied film and again i gravitated i we you know we had to make films but i gravitated towards the sound part of that too yeah and so yeah um and that was that was an experience that, that's that's the jack connection too because he was in my my class and he was a great filmmaker and still is a great filmmaker but he barely played music so we were like yeah it's gonna be cool when jack becomes a, a famous filmmaker yeah and then we all graduate college and he just was like no nah, i'm gonna be a rock star <laughs> instead yeah yeah uh, was he were, were, did you surf too because i know that that's i know that's part of his his thing were yeah, you were he, you in that he definitely surfed we we, we would go to the beach but you know, people ask me this as I grew up in Southern California in, in beach towns and, and Santa Barbara. But my answer is kind of like, well, I didn't really surf. And that's why I played music. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so sure. I'm like not that bummed about it. But I'm also like, I love it. I love the beach. Like, you know, I go all the time here. It's only 20, you know, 15 minutes down the road. And um, I have desires. I've been surfing. I've been learning how to surf a little bit. I try every now and then. And it's great. But I, I, not like Jack. He was he was an amazing surfer. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's wild. That's wild. And I know I know he had done some film. He also did a documentary about, he, or was part of a, do- a documentary. The the whole name just slipped slipped by. Conquerors of the Useless, maybe. Uh, huh. Anyway, it's a great. Uh, I'll probably cut this part out because I forgot the name of the movie and I don't remember exactly what it's about. <laughs> that's okay. But I like. I don't know. I don't know it. Yeah. I, 
It's like a mountain, he, I, mountain I would climbing. love to see more of his film work. I mean, I've seen some of his surf films, and they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. He really had a great eye. Um, he was, I mean, that film that he made was, was really cool. It's great. Band, it was really cool and, it, and like, very impressionistic. And I was yeah. kind of um, blown away how much I could tell it was you guys. You know what I mean? Just, like, mm. just in the vibes, you know? Um which is which is which is pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah. But so so as that goes, you know, um, growing up in Southern California, and now you're you know, f- you know, farther north. Um, what is the, the? I mean, to like let's say you know somebody's an outsider. I mean, how does where you grow up, where you grew up, compare to to where you are now? Does it feel like? part of the same world california feels like a country unto itself is what i'm it it is i i i don't think it's very similar to where we grew up i mean you know it's in orange county is just it's just like a whole other zone yeah um even ohio is like an hour and a half from la and it, it feels pretty removed um the best analogy i can make with ohio is it's it's kind of like what upstate is to um new york city yeah a little bit and definitely get the traffic from la coming up here every weekend um it, it feels that way it's, it's rural and it's just kind of slow slow high we call it yeah um, do you do you feel like that fits where you're at these days yeah i i've really leaned into it i mean i'm a i'm a new yorker by heart like actually my 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 whole family is from new york i was i was born there even though i grew up mm in in the west coast but i lived there for 10 years before moving here and it i'm still trying to get that that anxious new york energy out of myself it, living in ohio like at a stop sign like when people are just like no you go no you go yeah. there's a lot of that you know <laughs> and uh it drives me nuts to be like waiting in line i haven't done a lot of this this year obviously but waiting in line at the at the cafe to get your coffee and i'm just like come on people like, yeah. let's go you know and just like you can't be that guy but i kind of also love secretly to be that guy <laughs> in this town and it's okay um yeah it's fun listening to the <laughs> record i wouldn't necessarily guess that because because although you said there is some darkness in it and i was i was thinking about how spirit true has such a sense of like mystery in it um mm-hmm. there's a sense of you know, you're singing in that song sort of about like waiting for something, and I like that it's very unspecified. You know what I mean? That feeling yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So I feel like that mystery gets in there, but at the same time, it does sound to me like there's like a patience to what you do and a patience to the kind of music you make. So it's interesting that maybe internally you're wired a little quicker, you know, or you're or you're geared mm. to go a little bit a little bit faster. Um, <clears throat> Well, I, well, about New York. So, so what brought you back to New York? Because you were there for a decade. Um, I mean, one on one hand, I just I, I loved going there as a kid, and I have a sense of home there. And I just want I needed to live there at some point. And I, I was sad to not live there earlier in my life. But the real impetus was that I I got into a, a graduate program mm. to do more technical stuff um and that was just like a way to, for me to, to say okay i have to go now yeah so i i did i did that um and uh it was it was great um i don't it was a fun time what um, were, were, were did you have like studios that you'd work in out there as well 
A couple. I, I had a job doing um, voiceover recording in just like a, it wasn't really a music studio. So I was in a recording studio almost every day. But um, there were a couple spots I haunted. And then I had my own spot for a little while where uh, Mike and I made one of the early His Skull to Messenger records. Um, that's the building is uh, it's not there. I think it got either knocked down or turned into fancy condos, of course, as the story goes. Yeah. Um, um, but that was that was in in Dumbo, Brooklyn. And that was a pretty creative space I had there. Um, that's awesome. So did you find what what was happening in your own music at the time that you moved to New York and how did the <clears throat> move affect it? In my own music, for the most of the time I was in New York, I, I wasn't making my own music. Yeah. I was I was working with Hiss and um, and other people. Um, and I started my very first record right at the tail end of New York, and I finished it in Ohio. So yeah, uh, that was a big transition in my life. Actually, it was like uh, moving to California, and the the move to California kind of coincided with with me not playing with his like in the in the live touring and all that stuff too so um it was just a big kind of moment right then yeah you mentioned that you know you moved to ojai and then you were on the road for a long stretch right after that what uh what was it that led you to kind of make the call that like you didn't necessarily want to be on the road all the time was it family stuff was it you know was it a combination of things yeah, it was all of that. It was definitely wanting to be to be around my daughter growing up, which, you know, obviously Mike has kids too, and he was on the road even more after that. But you know, it's 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 very different when it's your project, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, you know, I was I was definitely it. His is very close to me, and you know, it's it's the love. It's one of the loves of my life, but it's not my project. And for me to be gone for that long and, and when I wanted to do so much other things, it, it, it started, stopped making a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I could continue to, to work in the studio with Mike and that was, that's, that's been amazing. So, yeah. So your own stuff started to really come at the end of that part of your, your story and then bloom more when you've been out there in Ohio, what have you found? How has, has, having your own outlet sort of affected or changed your relationship with music has it absolutely um like i said earlier uh for me to make solo records is um i think it might come from a slightly different place than some some other folks that make solo records i mean one of the things that i get to do when i make them um is is kind of riff on some ideas and some styles that I, I want to, I've, I've have gurgling around in there that I haven't been able to put in other places. So yeah, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's an emptying of, <laughs> I don't want to say the trash, but kind of, I mean, it's an <laughs> emptying of, um, an emptying of ideas that I get to, 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 to jam on, uh, on my own without having to cater or, um fulfill like another artist's thoughts you know and that's really fun for me yeah and uh yeah so that's that's kind of what it's all about that's why i make records and um the touring part like i love i love playing live i love being on the road um 
and and I'm I'm hoping to do more of it. This this year got you know everything's crazy, but um, but that also is an extension of like getting to to go out and then and and meet more people that I could potentially even uh, have creative endeavors with too. So it's all just sort of like this. I, I think it I think it might come from a slightly different desire or place than than some other solo artists um and i don't i don't it's not treated any differently really out out in the world but yeah in my mind that's how that's how it works one of the things i like so much about your records and especially this new one is is i mean obviously you 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 pull and incorporate a lot of sounds from like you know traditions in a way you know what i mean like i hear obviously there's a jj kale you know mm-hmm. influence there's a there's a faces influence van morrison some lou reedy yeah. moments you know mm-hmm. but then there's also a willingness to bring things from other parts of the musical spectrum dub music ambient stuff you know i i, I know you've worked a lot with william tyler too you know and and that's something that i also find uh so um gratifying about the music that william makes you know and for that matter his golden messenger you know like there's these little sprinklings of of different things um that that you bring something to to the table that 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 kind of removes it just from the singer songwriter acoustic sort of framework um yeah do you find that people are uh you know do, do you feel like wh- where does that sort of desire to bring elements in come from i mean is it just come from being a record dude who just like is in love <laughs> with a lot of sounds <laughs> i i'm not afraid to wear influences right out front i yeah. mean i don't get you know i obviously get a lot of jj kale i love jj kale i i really do he's one of like when i heard naturally the first or not naturally uh troubadour the first time it changed my it, it just like totally changed my perception of music so I love, and I, I'm I I don't feel as some people get mad when you you know you get you get comparisons all the time and sure. I I never feel that way. I'm like awesome. I love I love all that, and I'm not afraid to like put it into my records. To me, it's just again kind of going back to the earlier conversation about about folk music. It's it's my way of um, celebrating these artists that I love with everybody else. And yeah, the cool thing about it is that, um, you know, like I've got the catalog of JJ kale in my record collection, which I bought for a dollar or something, but they're harder to find now. Yeah. <laughs> and there might be a 20 year, 20 something year old kid who doesn't know JJ kale, but heard my song and then read that it sounds like that. And then found a JJ kale record. And like, if I'm the, conduit to that i'm stoked that's that's really exciting to me so uh i just like celebrating the music and so you know if i can and and i make records that way i'm just like oh this is this could have this feel like i could take an al jackson drum feel and i could marry it with a and i just reference all of these records in my head and that's that's so fun and then i make the music that way so um yeah, I love it's it's a celebration. Do you find that by doing that, right? Like by sort of saying like I'm going to take this and I'm going to take a little of this and then you kind of 
do you find that by pushing it sort of through the filter of just simply who you are and the way you play and all that stuff, that it at least when you're experiencing it, it kind of just becomes its own thing that's not necessarily... I like to think so. I, I like to think so. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. it's funny because I, I've i made three record, three full-length records of my own now, and as much as I think they're different from one another, like, I know that they all ha- kind of have, like, a pretty focused sound, and that's that's me, that's, you know? That's, yeah, that's my <laughs> stuff coming through, and that's the cool part that I don't have to try to control because it just shows up there, Yeah, I think. So um, that's the also the fun part is doing all those things and finding all these influences and then just making it my own by by not even trying right you know just by letting it letting it happen right so when you're working on stuff what are the things that like i know that nobody wants to try for anything but when you are working on things are there sort of like things that you feel like it's important to sort of make sure the records have uh, something i hear like a, a you seem to prize like a really good groove in a lot of your work and like that seems to sort of be like a like a, like yeah. and, and i mean that more than just saying like this is like cool to, no. to jam to you know no, what I you're mean? right yeah rhythm is always utmost of the utmost importance yeah. um absolutely and and i know mike feels that way too we've been on that we've been on that path and that that <laughs> like agenda for many many years and it just that's 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 like that's got to be first yeah. you know um the rhythm and the bass and that feel that's very important um um yeah so that i think i think that i i know a lot of people hold that important but that's 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 definitely in there you know um what else were you asking about uh um, what is it that you feel like you got to make sure the songs have before you feel oh, satisfied right. with them or happy or right. living within them? You know what I mean? A couple of things. I mean, on this record in particular, uh, I focused, this is another part of like just having more time, but I really like, I really worked on the songwriting more than I have. Um, and um, just taking pride in, in the actual writing, you know, aside from all the production stuff, which obviously I'm going to obsess over. Sure. I really wanted there to be good core foundational songs here, um, even more so than in past records. Um, and then the other, the other part of that, the other part of that answer is um, I like to think, and I always have conceptually about making records, like, like not that, it, not that I make full on concept records, but I really do start, map out the song order and the sides and yeah the flow of the record very early it's not an afterthought and i write to that as well so um i find that the vinyl format is the perfect attention span for listening to music so yeah you have two 20 minute sides or less a little bit less and that's like i just think that like civilization hit a real pinnacle with that like time frame i agree um and and so i love it and it's just like it's it's a it's a puzzle piece but you i like to write right into it and i'll craft the record thinking about that from the beginning which um is very satisfying when it works yeah yeah 
And when it doesn't work, do you do you, do you have moments where you have to eject songs, or do you feel like <laughs> this one's just not gonna not gonna fit the you know? I mean, have you ever had yeah. those arguments with yourself? I'm sure you have. Totally, yeah. I I mean, actually, it's funny you were talking about Spirit True because I actually I didn't have a first song. Oh, and I had to write I had to write a first song, and that's that's <laughs> that was what I wrote. <laughs> I wrote in my no- my notes. This is not me bullshitting. It's I wrote. I'm reading direct out the page. It says, Spirit True is such a good opener. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> which, but I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, it is a good opener. It was written as a good opener, uh, and it is, you know? But that's... that's Yeah, it's on purpose. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I needed a first song. It was like, usually, I feel like I've never had that issue before on my other records. Like, I had the first song, sure, no problem. Sure, I had everything else, and I was like, there's no there's no first song, and I had, I had to write it, and which was challenging kind of but i i had i had a couple of those riffs and i had a few things and um it just i needed it needed to feel right yeah. and that was that part was helpful so well it absolutely rules and it's such a good i mean the the record has such a great feel and i've i've really enjoyed spending time with it and 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 with all your stuff and i i really feel like um what you've got going on up there is 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 pretty is pretty great have you been able to host folks over the the pandemic to come up and do some work i mean are you still kind of keeping keeping busy with collaborations and stuff yeah um we haven't i have we haven't done a ton of hosting but we've i'm this is this is the first record that we're putting out with we have a kind of loose collective it's it's about it's about four people big um, called Echo Magic, yeah. and we are I guess you could call us like a, a production team, but now we're also a record label. So um, it was something that I resi- I personally resisted for a really long time being a record label, but at a certain point it was just like, wait, this totally makes sense. We should just also be a record label. So it's that punk DIY thing back in I, the mix, man. Again, I'm uh, hey, I, it's no joke. I actually have a bunch of T-shirts coming to my garage and a bunch of records that I'm going to be personally mailing out all that stuff. It's like, it takes me right back to those days and it's awesome. Your band Um, could be your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, so we have a lot of just stuff of our own. We didn't have to host a lot of people. I mean, I've done a lot of remote work. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mixed, I mixed the late, the last hiss record. I was supposed to go record, but that was like right in the heart of lockdown and I, I didn't end up going to Durham to record. I just kind of, you know, they were, they're fully equipped to do all the things. And, you know, we had a lot of conversation, a lot of talking about how to record it and I got to mix it, but that, you know, I've done so much remote work in that way, a lot of mixing, which I love, I love mixing. Yeah. Um, but my, what I was going to say is we have, we've had a lot of internal, we have some stuff brewing here, uh, doing final mixes of of a band that's in our little sphere from from Ojai. I mean, from other places, but they all actually con- congregated here in the pandemic and now are here. And that's, that's really cool. This band called Song Preservation Society, which I'm very excited about. Um, we've got a friend, Mia Dyson, who is Australian, but she's part of our orbit and we do a lot of work with her we're making a new record with her. So we've had a lot of like internal um, busyness, which is really exciting and kind of growing that that stuff. And it, it's just been fortuitous that we all are here right now and have 
time so that's awesome well it seems like time has just been the theme of our conversation and it's it's been really really good spending time with you thank you so much for for taking some time to to chat with me about your your work dude thank you jason Scott Hirsch here on Transmissions. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the program. Andrew Horton edits our audio. Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls create visual assets for the podcast and our executive producer and Aquarium Drunkard founder is Justin Gage. He's the top of the show announcer and you can hear him every Wednesday night on Sirius XM. 7 p.m. California time for the long-running classic radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're about to wrap our current season up. So uh, if you have been enjoying Transmissions, uh, do me a favor, leave us a rating uh, or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Go ahead and click five stars. Uh, If you need to click less stars and provide some constructive criticism, that's, of course, cool, too. If you want to take your support a step further, uh, we're over on Patreon, and we upload all sorts of cool bonus audio content for you over there. Uh, Help us keep the servers humming and help us keep making this independent podcast. We appreciate your support very, very much. Uh, Next week on the show, we've got Roberto Carlos Lang, better known as Gelaldo Negro. We're going to talk about his great new record, Far In, and uh, and get kind of far out. So we'll catch you next week. Until then, stay safe, keep yourself uh, keep yourself well, and thanks so much for tuning into Aquarium Drunker Transmissions. Back soon.